If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Colossians. We're looking this evening at Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We looked last week at Paul's greeting and a little bit about who Paul is and who the Colossians were and how they related to one another. And this evening we begin with Paul's thanksgiving and prayer for the Colossians. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely inerrant. It is completely sufficient. And it is completely authoritative. Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that You would use Your Word, that You would remind us of not only its truth, but its power, that you would draw us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in His name. Amen. When I was younger, I used to enjoy special occasions a great deal. You know, special occasions like a birthday or like Christmas. And it's no surprise, perhaps those of you that are younger know, that one of the reasons why I enjoyed it was you got presents. You got really fun things. And you were able to take them out and play with them and enjoy them and call your friends over and do great things with them. But there was a downside to getting presents. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the next day. The next day, when you have to sit down at a desk or a table with a stack of thank you cards, right? Where you think, well, why do I need to do this? And mom looks at you and she says, we are writing these thank you cards. You have to do this. And maybe you, like me, think back and you say, well, why? Why do we need to bother to do this? You know, these people were here. They they gave me the gift. We celebrated together. I said, thank you. Why do I need to write them a note? I think part of the reason why we have that mentality, and kids, it's a wrong mentality, is because we view the thank you as part of a transaction. You give me present, I give you thank you. We're even. We're done. When in reality, that's not what a thank you is about. What a thank you is about is really showing appreciation for the person 
who has thought of you and given you a gift. Not just, I'm so glad you gave me something and I liked it. It's an opportunity, that gift is, to show our appreciation and love for that person. And if we have that kind of a mentality, I think we can understand a bit better what Paul is doing here this evening in giving thanksgiving for the Colossians. He is going to open up this letter to this church, this small church in a small town that Paul has never really even met. You recall, it was planted by one of Paul's disciples. He is going to show his appreciation for them in the Lord. And so this evening, I'd like us to see three things in Paul's thanksgiving. First, we will see Paul's thanksgiving itself, how Paul gives thanks. Then secondly, we will see Paul's reminder to the church about why he is thankful. And then lastly, we will see Paul's encouragement to the church in this thanksgiving. His thanksgiving, his reminder, and his encouragement. Let's begin then by looking at his thanksgiving. He begins here in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible is full of words. And sometimes as we go through it quickly, we, we pass over or we go too quickly through the text of the Bible and we miss things. If we hear about Paul giving thanks and we read about it in the book to the Colossians, we might immediately think that Paul is going to thank the Colossians, to thank them for what he has meant, what they have meant to him, to thank them for what they have done, to thank them for their ministry. We might think the focus would be on the Colossians. After all, that's who the letter is to. But this passage here begins immediately reminding us that Paul is thankful, but he is not thankful to the Colossians. He's thankful to God. You see, he knows that who the Colossians are is because of God. So he directs his thankfulness to the Lord. And it's wide and sweeping. He begins here, we thank Now, this is not the royal we like the Queen of England uses when she says, we are not amused. No, this is Paul and his companions, Timothy and Epaphras and others. He says, everyone who is with me and around me is thankful to the Lord. And the reason why they are thankful to the Lord is because Paul knows where blessings come from. Blessings don't come from him. They don't come from ministry. They don't come from the Colossians. They come from God. And so this is very typical of Paul. He begins many of his letters in this same way. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians. Paul gives thanks to God for who this church is. And so his thanks are to God, but they are centered on the work that God is doing in that community of faith there at Colossae. They are directed not only to God generally, but they are directed in a very specific way. He says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a reminder to the Colossians and to us that Paul is thankful for the one who cares for them and loves them. One of the great truths of Scripture that has deep impact on our personal lives is to understand and know that God blesses us Because he loves us. He does not love us because he blesses us. 
You see, God brings His blessings to the Colossians and to Paul because He is a loving, caring Father. He has adopted them into His family. He cares for them daily. And we see this throughout the Bible in the way that God calls people to Himself. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Paul will write in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You see, God is building a family of people like you and me. And Paul here is thankful for that family that Paul is gathering together. This thanksgiving, though, occurs not just in a vacuum. It isn't just something that is directed to God. It is also accompanied by prayer. You'll notice that Paul says, we thank God when we pray for you. And there's a little word again here, always. We always thank God when we pray for you. Now, that reminds us of a couple of things. First is that Paul is regularly remembering this church at Colossae. If that's not a challenge for us, I don't know what is. How often do you pray for this church? How often do you pray for the broader church? How often do you pray for other evangelical churches in Katy, in Houston, in Texas? You see, Paul says, we thank God always when we pray for you. And you see, Paul reminds us that being steeped in prayer points us to God. When I'm in prayer, then I'm thankful to the Lord. It puts me in a mind of what God has done. A regular remembrance for this church. But you also see the way Paul prays is important. We have a little saying around here, don't we? How do we pray for things? Particularly, specifically. Paul does that here even just at the beginning of this letter. He doesn't just say, when I pray, I thank God. He says, when I pray for you. Now, Paul has people in mind here. He may not have met them face to face, but he has names, faces, perhaps. He has stories about these people. And so he prays very particularly for them, and he gives thanks particularly for them. And the reason that he can have this thanksgiving is because he has heard of what God is doing in their midst. He says, I give thanks because I have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have and the hope that is laid up. You see, this is not a congratulations to the Colossians. I'm so glad you've made it. I'm so glad to hear how well you do Bible study. I'm so glad to hear how well the collection is going. I'm so glad to hear about what you do and who you are. No. He says, I'm so glad to hear and thankful for what the Lord is doing in your midst. Now, that brings a question to us. Are we looking for an opportunity to give thanks for others? Are we looking for good things in them that God is doing? Because you see, it is very easy to move to complaining, grumbling, (coughs) seeing the negatives. And when we do that, we focus upon ourselves and others and our sin. But if we looked at others and we looked with a, a lens of thankfulness, then we would look to God and what He is doing. 
we would see not someone who still is a bit annoying, who doesn't know their Bible so well, or who could pray more, or who could be a little bit more tactful. Instead, we look at someone that is growing in faith, that is trusting the Lord, that is open and and teachable, open to learning things from God's Word, and the focus comes completely upon the Lord. Now, Paul gives thanks, and he gives specific thanks. And he says this thanks is because of what he has heard. And he will now remind the Colossians and us what this cause of thanksgiving is. He says, I've heard of these things, and now Paul is going to give a reminder to the Colossians. Now, this is not so that they might have heads that are puffed up, so that they might be proud in themselves, but it's a means of encouragement. And so he reminds them of what God is doing for them in that great triad. Faith, love, and hope. We hear about that all the time. Oftentimes in the scriptures it's faith, hope, and love. But it's that triad of Christian virtues, of what the Lord is working in the church in Colossae. And Paul begins by reminding them, of their faith. He says, we thank God, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there is a reason why faith is mentioned first. Faith is like the fountain of all other Christian virtues. Faith lays hold of the Lord. Faith makes us teachable. Faith reminds us that we are dependent upon another. Faith reminds us that we need the work of the Spirit to do anything. So Paul mentions it here first. And it's a very specific kind of faith. I have to tell you, there's something out and about in our culture that is just really annoying for me. I really do not like the phrase, people of faith. What does that mean? I say to myself, could you be more vague? Is that faith in the living God and the scriptures? Is it faith in Dianetics? Is it faith in a detached, transcendent God that desires that we murder infidels? Is it faith in progress or science? What does it mean? You see, faith is not a substance. Faith must have an object. And Paul reminds us here that the object of the believer's faith is Jesus Christ. It is our Lord. We must have a personal faith, something that is living and active, so that Paul can actually hear of it, a faith in Jesus. Now think about your life. Is your life such that I could write a letter thanking the Lord for your visible faith in Christ? Or or better yet, not that I could write a letter, but that someone else who lives in Dallas or lives in Los Angeles, would have heard of your faith through your friends, through your family. You see, their faith is so active and so alive that it cannot be kept hidden in a box. Paul hears of it hundreds of miles away. Are we looking to see that our faith is active and visible? Because you see, real faith in Jesus Christ is active. 
It is not something we hide under a bushel. It is not something we stick under a blanket. It is not something that we are ashamed of. It is something that is shouted from the rooftops in what we do and who we are. That's the kind of faith that Paul is thankful for. And this kind of faith, this lively, living, breathing, as it were, faith, is never alone. Faith alone saves. But faith that saves is never alone. And this faith comes and brings love. You see again here in verse 4. Paul has not only heard of their faith, but he's heard of the love that you have for all the saints. Now, this love here is linked to faith. It is a product, as it were, of the gospel. It is a product of believing on Christ. The one who is united to Christ cannot help but love. And again here we have a very practical, specific object for this love. It is the saints. And we need to be reminded, just as I think the Colossians need to be reminded, of the little adjective that goes along with that. Paul does not thank them for the love for the saints that really understand the Bible. Or the love they have for the saints that they have so much in common with. Or the love they have for the saints who are calm and good and nice. No, they have a love for all of the saints. You see, true saving faith produces in us a love. A love, dare I say it, for other Christians who drive us bananas. Who always say the wrong thing to us. Who always leave us out. Who assume that we know things they haven't told us. But you see, that's part of living in a community. It's like living in a family, right? We don't all get along all of the time. There's a little bit of tussle and wrestling and roughhousing, especially if there's boys in the household. And you see, that's what the Christian life is like too. We're not perfect. We shouldn't expect others to be. And you see, Paul says... The faith that you have produces love for all of the saints here at this church. I'm so thankful to God because, you see, that must be the work of the Lord. Because humanly speaking, we cannot shower love upon people that drive us crazy. But in the work of the Spirit, we can. And notice, too, that this love is not something that they need to work up or that comes up in the future. It is love that they have right now. Now, it is a present possession. It is a love that comes to them because of the work of the Spirit. Faith, love. And then the last thing that Paul has heard of is their hope. And he puts it this way. He says, we've heard of your faith. We've heard of your love because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And you see, hope is a support for our faith and our love. When we grow weary in love, when we doubt, we look forward to the hope, don't we? We look forward to what God has in store for us and how God has made promises to us. And we grasp onto that hope firmly and it buttresses our faith and it stirs up and kindles our love. And that's what Paul says here to the Colossians. 
It's a hope that we have right now. It is sure and secure. It is laid up for you in heaven. Now, we might be tempted to think, well, I can't really get a hold of this hope. Paul says it's up in heaven. I want my hope now. Where's my hope? I want to touch it. I want to see it. I want to handle it. Then I'll really know it's secure. Well, let me ask you by way of illustration a question. When you want to keep something really secure, what do you do with it? Do you? Who here right now has their entire life savings in cash wadded up in their pocket? It would be safe, wouldn't it? It would be with you. Where are your life savings? You all carry around family heirlooms in your shirt pockets, right? No. When you want to know something is very safe, you put it in a safe place. You lay it up someplace secure. You get a safety deposit box or you stick it in the bank and you know it's secure because it's there. So what more secure place could your hope be laid up than in the hands of the almighty, omnipotent God? You see, our hope is something that God keeps secure for us. It is laid up in heaven. And this is a real incentive to us right now. Because we know that God will secure that hope. That it will be there for us. And it points us onward to Him. Thirdly and lastly, Paul has he has given thanksgiving for the Colossians. He's given them a reminder of why, and then he concludes this section here with an encouragement. Beginning at verse 6, he tells them that he has heard of their faith, their hope, and their love because of the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit. Paul's encouragement to them is the reason you are the way you are is because the gospel is true. Because of God's word and your trust in it. That is the foundation for your faith, your love, and your hope. It is the foundation for the thanksgiving. It is the foundation for all that we hold secure because the gospel is true. We can take that to the bank. The gospel alone is what is true. You see, they are students of the gospel. They are the ones who have learned the truth of the word of God. You see, Paul says, they have heard of the word of truth. It has come to them and it is also among them. And they have heard and understood, verse 7, just as they have learned it. Now, some of you have heard... My explanation of this word learned in the Greek New Testament. It's the same word that we have, we get disciple from. If someone is discipled, they learn. The English word that we get from this is mathematics. Now, there's a reason why I think this relation happens. Because learning mathematics takes a lot of work. It's not easy. You have to really study. You have to pour yourself into it. That's the same with the gospel. We need to be students of the word of God, students of the word of truth, the gospel. 
You see, they heard this gospel, they perceived this gospel, but they proved it to themselves. They studied it. They tested it with the Scriptures. Because the gospel is true, the Colossians have a firm foundation. The gospel is true, and the gospel is also fruitful. You see, this word of truth is not just abstract theories that are out there. This truth bears fruit in the whole world and in them. Now, Paul is really emphatically making a point here. Because if we're honest, the fact that the gospel is in the whole world doesn't exactly bear scientific inquiry. There are large sections of the of the world that missionaries have not gone to yet. But you see, Paul is speaking prospectively. He knows the power of the gospel. He knows that it will sweep the entire world. And he also knows that the gospel is for everyone. Rich, poor, male, female, Europeans, Americans, Asians, Africans, all sorts of people. The gospel alone is true and the gospel alone brings fruit in our lives. It's been at work in them since the very first day, Paul says. This is what the gospel does. The gospel brings fruit and the gospel also brings results. This is why Paul gives thanks. Because you see to Paul, the church at Colossae is not some little group of people that are unimportant and in a wayside. To Paul, as a part of the gospel, the Colossians are a part of a mighty army sweeping the earth to tell the story of who Jesus Christ is and how we can be right with Him by faith and how that will produce love in us for each other and how that will shine in a hope we have of eternity. Is the gospel bearing that kind of fruit in your life today? If it isn't, Follow Paul's directive. Pray. Give thanks. Look to the Lord. Ask Him to work in you what will be pleasing in His sight. Because you see, the gospel is on a triumphant progress. Paul is thankful for the way that is happening in the lives of the Colossians. We should be thankful for the way that that happens in the lives of the church at Katy. Let's pray.